I'm Anna Tonk. Welcome to How to Be Human, a podcast that explores the common and often confusing themes of humanness. Hello, hello. So I kind of had to, thanks to Eva, my audio engineer, we sort of figured out a solve, but I uh, split Aja's episode into two because when I listen to it, I just feel like she says a lot that is really important and I wanted people to hear. And I do think our attention, I mean, I just think sometimes if you're not, a male comedian, you know, doing like an over an hour pod is just like, it's a lot. It's a lot of attention to ask for from people. And it's a lot to ask you to really like hear and integrate and stuff like that. It just kind of makes me laugh some of these dudes. And I listen to some other podcasts that do these like three hour podcasts. And I'm like, guys, come on. So that's why I split her episode into two parts. Today is part two. I wanted you to really be able to take in what she's saying and some of the things she touches upon, because I think that as climate change becomes more and more of an urgent, I mean, it's an urgent problem now, but as we get closer and closer to these, you know, points of no return, I think a lot of what she's talking about is really important. And I think that if you are struggling to break some of your shopping habits or your love of fast fashion or things like that, I think it's really important and powerful to hear kind of like, when we engage in that, and listen, I do it too. I ordered stuff from ASOS not that long ago. This isn't said with with judgment, you know, but I think that when you hear sort of what you're choosing, it's helpful to choose differently. I care a lot about people getting paid a living wage. I care a lot about people being elevated out of poverty. I think it's the only shot we have at a world that is equitable and just better, you know? And I am holding myself more accountable to not shopping or prioritizing brands that don't align with that as well. And I just feel better for it, to be honest. I don't even have to like be smug, you know, at a dinner party telling people. It literally just makes me feel better because it's more what I want to see from the world. So I hope some of you feel the same way and hear that and enjoy part two. And I just beautiful mind. My God, she's so smart. Please buy her book. It's great. So episode 71 with Aja Barber, part two. And first with sustainability was coming up. One, I was a little bit like eye rolly because I thought it was just something that a lot of startups were doing to seem better than they were, you know, that it it, already, I felt like the greenwashing, I felt like Mm -hmm. I was already a little bit like that seems highly sus, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're still manufacturing, like this is still, I was like, I don't know. And I felt very defensive as a plus size person of like, well, it's different. I don't have any options or blah, blah, blah. And you're right. Like I started to unpack it and be like, it's fair that you feel that way. Like it's fair you have those drives. Mm -hmm. Like when something does fit you or you do love it to like buy another one or whatever. But I also think like I don't like the heat and I don't like humidity. And as you know, it starts to be more and more obvious that we're all going to literally be living in hell. Oh no. You know, that I'm like, 
Oh man. And it, it did. I mean, it, like, should it have taken me like, you know, personally being a little like, how is this all going to work out? Like to shift? <laughs> no, but it was when it, I started to go like, I think I care more about not being on a livable planet. Yes. Than a dress. Yes. Uh, that I was like, I'm pretty sure I can tend to my feelings in therapy and learn to like, you know, heal and hold space for that piece of myself that is like, there were years that I didn't have options, you know, versus just consuming. Like, I think I can tend to that, you know, I genuinely, genuinely just feel like in this climate crisis conversation, there's so much stuff that like, it's going to be really hard and it's going to require us to have lawmakers who give a fuck and will do their job. Yeah. And right now that's a rarity. And so we're going to have to take on the fossil fuel industry, which is also tied to this conversation because 60% of the fibers in existence currently are polyfibers, which come from oil, plastic, you know, so there are so many different ways that we are going to have to like really really, really challenge and stand up and be very loud and vocal and protest, right? How we dress ourselves and how we participate in like this conversation, this is an easy one in comparison to the rest. And if we are like, I just don't want to stop shopping, then like... (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm kind I just think, I think to myself, and I say this in the book, what if like, humanity dies out and like we do not change our course and like a hundred years from now an alien civilization visits this planet and what they see is like oceans full of like Xi'an clothing and what they can deduce is that like we shopped ourselves to death like I'm sorry that's mortifying like I'm already embarrassed for us like I I would be embarrassed to be human if we couldn't actually like turn the tap off on this problem it's like the stupidity of it yes yes and like when you really start to think about some of the things that you said in the past to like justify the ways in which you interact with the system I just think it's funny because it's embarrassing, but like, it's funny. I'm just like, wow, I can't believe I actually said that, but I can laugh at myself. And what you were saying was, how do you not lose your patience and have a platform? I just think a lot of it is like funny. Like, I'm just like, wow, that is really embarrassing. Let me talk about it. The absurdity sometimes that you're like, I was choosing pants over earth like survival or you know even over my bank account like yeah, well oh uh, i mean one aspect of getting away from a cycle where you were participating in trends and buying clothing weekly is the bank account and everyone people can say whatever they want it's true though like we are spending money we don't have on clothing we don't need and like in a cost of living crisis i get it like you're not gonna like buy a house because you stopped buying avocado toast, but you will actually be able to have more money in the bank when you look at this system and start to see it for the bullshit that it is. Yeah. When I moved out of TV into tarot, I made a lot less money. I know that's Mm -hmm. shocking. You know, (laughs) I lost a lot of my, you know, discretionary income, you know, Mm -hmm. that it now. And so my, 
I mean, I probably, I don't think I was doing weekly ASOS orders, but we say ASOS. Is it ASOS in, in London? People but, say, I say ASOS. Some people say ASOS. It's, yeah, yeah it's all. Adidas, Adidas. I, you know, exactly. it's funny. I forget sometimes. But um, I lost that. And let me tell you, the organization of my home and my bank account, you know, like greatly benefited from it. And guess what? Yes. Like there was no, once I got over like, Oh, like baby sad that baby can't spin whenever baby wants or needs a little thrill or wants a little treat, you know, and I could see like, that's all that's up. Like, I'm not actually being deprived. I'm not actually missing out on anything. Nobody is going naked. Like, I'm literally not going like... Oh, I'm not no, cold. I don't, I don't have anything to actually wear now because I'm not buying fast fashion once a week. Yeah. Like that's patently ridiculous. And I would argue that my wardrobe has indeed gotten better because I used to be that person who was like, well, I can't afford to buy better brands. So nobody better judge me. But the reality was I couldn't afford to buy better things because I was pissing my money away on shit. Yeah. Like that's the reality. And I could say like, we can talk about classism as much as we want when it comes to this topic. I grew up lower middle class. I didn't grow up with money, but I knew in my twenties that I was pissing my money away on stuff that I didn't need. And now that I don't buy 68 plus garments a year of things that probably won't last me for two or three years, I can actually afford to put like some real money on things that will last me for the next 10 years. And that has made my wardrobe arguably better, better brands, better fits, better everything. I used to think my mom was being really classes. I mean, she probably was for different reasons, but Mm -hmm. she would be like, she would say stuff like, I don't believe in sales. And I was like, must be nice lady, you know? And she was like, but look, if like, look at that rack, it didn't work for anybody, you know, <laughs> like that should tell you something, you know? And she would say, save your money and buy the the best of what you can afford. That was yes. always her thing. Like she, she would be like, Anna, you're buying this bullshit from like old Navy and the gap. And like, I mean, I was such a like fast fashion serial vendor and like Same. in that way, And she would be like, instead of getting these like, you know, 800 terrible black sweaters that just pill and are horrible, why don't you save up and just get one cashmere black sweater? And I was like, well, because baby wants more, more is more. Right. And I thought that she was being such a like, like a rich person. Yeah. Yeah, It's not, I did. And now I'm like, much like other, lots of things moms say, I was like, she was right all along. You know, my mom was the opposite end of the spectrum because she's, she grew up like in a pretty impoverished background and never had like money. But one thing that people without money know is it's actually a waste of money to throw your money away on shit, right? So like, while my mom is never going to be the person to buy like the item that costs hundreds of dollars to wear, she'll go to the thrift store and she'll find an item that might be in the high, high nineties, you know, or, or a North face jacket, you know, she would rather go to the charity shop and get a North face jacket for $10, then go to H&M and buy something else for $30. It's not going to last. And so that's always been my mom. She's going to look for value in the charity shop before she goes and buys something from fast fashion. And she was right about that shit. I'll give her that. 
Yeah. I find it, it, my grandmother was obsessed with Lomans and I remember Lomans and she was, I mean, she was obsessed and would you have to know how to shop stores like that though, because it could be so overwhelming if you don't know how to shop it. Well, and I, I find it even interesting with like, you know, we have Neiman's Nordstrom's, all these places that have their, basically their outlets, you know, Mm -hmm. to again, emphasize how much all of this is made up, you know, and I like what you say in the the book, if the price would increase by 1% in the store, people would be making a livable wage. And it's like, if it's at Neiman's, and it's $400, but then it's at Neiman's last call and it's marked down to $90. That makes me think it never needed to be $400. And, yes, and it makes me a- wonder what percentage of any of that is getting into the hands of the people making it. Making the clothes. So this is this is the key with ethical items. Ethical items have a fair split. So like I do a collection with my friend, Laura. It's Laura Jean, I'm not telling you this to advertise it, but if you do check it out, I won't be sad about it. <laughs> but like we pay our garment workers the bigger portion of the split of what you see. And so they're making way above living wage when they do our collection and they know that. And so like when the pandemic started in Bulgaria, I had just done like one round of stuff with Laura and it had gone well. And when the pandemic started, people that we were working with started reaching out to Laura asking if I wanted to continue my line because a lot of luxury brands were canceling their orders in Bulgaria. And a lot of the factories and workhouses were, or not workhouses, a lot of the factories and workshops that we work with create things for luxury brands, but we pay better than luxury does because we don't take a markup and we don't have advertising budgets where we have to take about X X amount of advertising in September issue of Vogue and that cost, you know, the price of a house in a big city. You know what I mean? So yeah. like w- there's an ethical brand is lean and fair and what you're paying for is is what you should be paying for clothing with ethical brands where with luxury a lot of what you are paying for is a markup is massive marketing budgets, is gigantic corporate operations where you have hundreds of people working for a brand. You know, you you are paying for a lot of different things, but when it comes to a small ethical label who is paying people fairly, the biggest portion of the price tag that you see should be going to the people making the clothing. I mean, that's always like been my, it's funny because sometimes I am like, why am I like strangely old fashioned in some of my like values? And then I remember how much time I spent with my grandparents Mm -hmm. and it does seem like so many things to me, like it just seems like common sense. The person who makes it should make more. Should make more, but that's not what the industry is doing. And like, this is why I tell people like, an ethical business isn't one that's going to create billionaires, right? Like I'm not getting rich off of my line with Laura. I'm doing it because I love it because it's fun because I want people of all sizes to be able to buy ethical clothing. Um, And because it's nice to have something that pays people fairly in a 
shitty economy where brands that can definitely afford to pay fairly don't. Yeah. And so, but I'm not getting rich off of it. Like I'm not making enough money to like pay, pay all of my bills, but it's still something I'm going to continue to do because it's a labor of love. And also because when I started my line with Laura, all of these brands were like, Ugh, making plus sizes is so hard. I just I, can't do it. We just we can't possibly oh, figure it I out. Just, I just can't possibly figure out how to scale up this pattern for this one garment that I sell a lot of. I can't do it. And it was really pissing me off. It was like people were acting like making bigger sizes with some sort of sacred geometry. And <laughs> I just kind of wanted to be like, look, I did that motherfuckers. What? What? You know, like yeah. I kind of did it because I wanted to challenge a lot of ethical brands who I was talking to who I thought were on some bullshit. And then I just kept it going because it's nice to make something cool that you feel really proud of. And it makes me feel good when somebody buys a dress with my name on it and says, this is one of the better dresses in my closet. Yeah. I mean, I think it's clear you love fashion. You, I you, love it. You want to know how to participate in a way that doesn't make you feel terrible. Exactly. And I genuinely think we treat our clothing better when we feel good about it. Like I feel like so much of the fast fashion that we go through, we're able to detach so easily from it because there was no attachment to begin with. Mm -hmm. So you don't know who's made this clothing. You don't know how many hands it's passed through. And it's easy to treat things where we have no emotional attachment, like a rag. It's easy to be like, oh, I don't need this anymore. Put it in a Goodwill bag where it'll be dumped in the global south and made to be someone else's problem. So I want people to connect with their clothing in a way where they know that like, if I buy this garment that Aja has put out here, I'm paying for, you know, X amount of women in Bulgaria who have families, who have medical bills, who have all sorts of things that they're paying for as well. It isn't just, oh, all the money goes into Aja's pocket. No, it's a it's a long lasting thing. And like one of the things that you have to understand about the fashion industry, it's a feminist issue. Like 80% of the workers within the fashion industry are women. And a large portion of that workforce is oppressed. However, when you are giving your money to women in an equitable way, beautiful things happen. Women tend to keep more of our money in our communities and in our families, right? Like taking care of people, buying food. So like if all the garment workers of, you know, Southeast Asia were paid fairly, imagine how that would change the landscape there as far as like all sorts of different fields, all sorts of local fields, local farming, stuff like that. And so it's paying fair wages in all in every field is is something that shouldn't be radical, but if we can do it, we can change the planet. Yeah. We could change the planet and we can change I get like almost like the global economy and we can change the global economy for the better and yeah every single one of us benefits from that this is the thing as well like when these corporations are exploiting women in the global south like do not think for a second that they will not exploit you as well and like you you see this like for instance top shop in the uk went under and it got bought by asos and asos was like 
gloating about it on Instagram. But one of the things that happened is that when they bought Topshop, the majority of the Topshop stores in the UK closed overnight, which means that thousands of people lost their job. So you're seeing all these people in the comments being like, oh, I can't believe you. Like my neighbor worked for you for 20 years and now they don't have a job and this and that. And it's like, if you feel this way, imagine how people in the global South feel every single day. So like unpacking and holding companies to account when they try and take advantage of any of us needs to be the goal because we're all in this together. Yes. One of my favorite things, I like the show 90 Day Fiance because I believe in both high highbrow and lowbrow entertainment. <laughs> and one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things, because now, you know, it's spawned this whole world is when the fiance or when the partner who doesn't live in the U.S. doesn't want to let, come to the U.S. When they're like, come to my beautiful country, you know? Mm-hmm. And it always blows the American's mind that not everybody wants to be American or be in America. And I'm like, it's so understandable. And this this happens a lot with people in Africa. And I'm like, yeah. if I was in any country, well, I mean, Africa is obviously not a country, it's a continent. But if I was mm-hmm. anywhere on in the global South, I'd be like, fuck those people, you know, because <laughs> we've like ruined economies we've ruined land we've we use it as our landfill we didn't even get into how fucked it is the whole like just donated and think that it goes you know you're doing some of someone a favor by giving them your by giving them forever 21 you don't want yeah like my god but it, it just is like it really this is something I say like to people sometimes if everybody isn't free, then none of us are free. And it it is, yeah. it, and it really is important. Like if not everyone is safe, then like no one is safe. Like exactly. if we're not thinking about the fact that, you know, like you, you were talking about the river in, in Indonesia, like the rice is growing with like chromium in it. It's like, yes. if you don't care about that, it's going to be in our front door. Inevitably. It's going to be that, that water is going to wash up on your shore it, at some point. It, it's just inevitable. And I, it's I inevitable. Don't... We're already like drinking microfibers because that's what happens with polyester fibers. It gets in the water supply. So like when we talk about plastic in the ocean, some of that is the plastic that's coming off of your clothing, you know? Oh, back to what, sorry, really quickly, what you were saying about people from other countries, like not wanting to come here. I recently went to Paris with the Orr Foundation, who I talk about in the book. They brought a delegate of 15 people from Ghana to talk to EU regulators about Mm. the clothing supply chain and how this chain is negatively impacting Ghana. And uh, it was a really interesting trip. And I met them in Paris because I live in London. And one of the things that was so funny to me is, you know, how like, French food is like regarded in the global north. It's like French food. Oh, yeah. All the Ghanaian people are like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> kind of, I mean, it wasn't everyone. Some people were like, oh, I guess I could. But like, there's this idea, right? That like French food is like, you know, highbrow and like, oh, you have no like taste if you don't like French food. They were just sort of like, okay. It is my favorite thing when someone like unprovoked basically tells white people they're not interested. And it's just like, (laughs) it is my favorite thing. Or like, 
sometimes if you're talking to somebody who's maybe an au pair or something in the U.S. and they're like, everyone in America's fat needs cookies. And you're like, that's a fair takeaway. You know, like it, it is my favorite. I'm like, what you got against cookies, though? <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm like, they're delicious. No. And they're like, they are, you know, but like, you know, like it is my favorite favorite when people like are reflecting the U.S. back to it of like the absurdity and like how misguided we are and what we value and it's like we've just gotten so nuts and And people get shocked about it because of like American exceptionalism there's this idea that like everyone wants to be us and it's like guys children are getting gunned down in school every single day not everyone wants to actually nobody wants that nobody wants that i do not know any person in the uk that does not look at the states and go what the fuck and i'm like i know what the fuck i mean it's something that was interesting to me when i was growing up in the uk is that people will talk so much shit about americans they like every cab driver like every cab driver would be like america's garbage blah 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 and then they would button it with, but my greatest dream is to go to New York or like my greatest dream is to go to Disney. And it's like, <laughs> that is maybe fair that everybody wants to come to the States to party and then get out, you know, like that's maybe. But there's also like, I would argue that like the film industry is like America's greatest PR machine. Oh God. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah. Know? So like we export and this is something that Celine Simon teaches in like her class on colonialism. If you go to the slow factory, you can take all these free classes on you on YouTube that we teach. And my friend Celine teaches one about colonialism and the ways in which colonialism works is, is exported through a lot of different things And media is one of them. Religion is another thing. So like there's all these different elements of colonialism that like get exported, but you don't view it as, an extension of the colonialist machine. So like our films being exported to all these countries is the reason why people are like, yeah, America seems like a shit show, but I kind of want to go. And it's like, yeah, because there's a lot of marketing that's telling you that like, America, fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It's true. (laughs) It's true. And like, we're just so loud. We take up a lot of space, you know, that we drown it all out. It was interesting for me being in Guatemala for uh, Semana Santa. And I think that if most people would would ask themselves that in their lives of what am I in service of? What am I devoted to? What are my values? And, And I mean, especially too with like the protests in 2020, like it had occurred to me prior to 2020 that maybe black people in America weren't having a good time. But yeah, I think for a lot of people that like that was such a like watershed moment. It was such a wake up moment like, oh, it's not great for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I, yes. It, it, like, oh, my God. America's racist. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. I, I don't know how that was surprising, but what whatever. Um, you would be surprised by how many people have told me they're surprised by it. I, I've heard same. I've heard it. Well, and white people think it's safe to say that shit to other white people. And I was I, I mean, the amount of people I was like, what? You know, like, yeah. what did you think was happening? Like, I don't you know. But it did make so many people start realizing how they were spending and that, you know, it is important to like shop black and brown, you know, Mm -hmm. like people and brands and things like that. And I really think when it comes to clothing, the environment, and again, race, like Mm -hmm. if these are things that are important to you and these are the values you have. And I think 
most people, if you really push them and you weren't lecturing them and you said, what do you care about? They care more about the liberation and freedom of people. And they, they care more about like things feeling good and ethical than they do having a tanked out from Zara. I really exactly. do think most people, exactly. and I'm like, let's start shopping that way. Let's reflect it. And another thing that I think has really gotten us away from this conversation about values is in our society, one thing that I tell people to think about a lot is like, what is enough for you? Because our society doesn't actually talk about what enough is. What yeah. is enough money? What is enough clothing? What would you be happy if like you could do in life? Is it getting on the property ladder? Is it, you know, having you know, six or seven really nice dresses. What is enough? How much money do you realistically need to live a really, really good life? And what does that look like? And so I think when we can investigate these ideas surrounding money and wealth and like, you know, because growing up, it was like, I want to be a millionaire and I want to have like millions and millions of dollars. And like, to be honest, if I had millions of dollars in the bank right now, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because it's a cost of living crisis and people are struggling. Yeah. I would have a hard time with that. But it wasn't until I started to investigate what enough looked like for me that I was able to have a lot of clarity about what it is that I want out of life. How do I want to do my work? You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is having a platform where you talk about ethics and sustainability means that like, a lot of people will pay you a lot of money to lie about the ethics of their brand. A lot of people. Wow. I've seen a lot of money slid across the table to me like, hey, you can be in this campaign and we're going to pay you thousands and thousands of dollars and this is going to be a really big deal. It's for our recycled collection. But then like that's literally 5% of like the damage that we're actually doing and the rest of the collection doesn't look like that. Or we'll pay you, we'll pay you 12,000 euros to never drag us again. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but like, it's a position, but like, you do kind of feel like it's hush money because they don't want you looking too close. And so like, I've had a lot of money pushed in my direction. And if I had never really interrogated what my own personal idea of enough is, there would be a temptation to, I don't want to say sell out, but to just take the money and run. You know, if I wanted to be very rich right now, I probably could, but it would really require me to bend and compromise my morals. But because I have a strong idea of what looks like a good life for me, and for me, that good life is living in a beautiful place, being able to buy things like groceries without wincing at the price. Um, and being able to occasionally treat loved ones to things. That's, that's what I want out of this life. And I feel like I've gotten to a place where I'm starting to like achieve that. And that makes it a lot easier to say no to five figure paychecks from brands that aren't ethical. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that and think you've said it so beautifully. And I would only add like, it can also just be really liberating and clarifying to do that yes. and to go, yes. Oh, wait a minute. All these things I thought I wanted. Something for me shifted. I mean, I don't think saying like, you know, you started to think differently or look at things differently when you hit 40 is like, you know, earth shattering. But it did make me really think of those things in terms of like, 
what is success? What is enough? What it like, what for me is the goal? What am I in pursuit of to then check myself so that I couldn't, you know, sort of be led astray? It had limited the power that other people have over me, you know, that it made it less tempting if someone that I didn't think aligned with me or I didn't think was in my values dangled a carrot in front of me. I could be like, that's not even that, that money isn't even that appealing or that I, I don't, I don't have to even be a little bit swayed by that because it, it, I don't need it. It doesn't align, you know, like yeah. it just made it easier and it made it easier for me to, to, to ditch some of the scarcity mentality and to, I think, I think most of us want to feel a sense of personal power and Mm -hmm. whether that's in our life, you know, that Mm -hmm. we can, we can create the life we want or whatever. And I think a lot of times people get tricked by capitalism into thinking that there's no way to have ethics or values and progress financially. And it's like, you can, if you just get clear and you make those decisions and you stick with it, stay at it, you know, it's not, it's not fast, but it, it will, but you can get there. You can get there. Yeah. It's a lot easier when your basic needs are covered, but I think many of us, if we can really evaluate what is a basic need and what's like a luxury, and I'm not saying I don't want you to enjoy your avocado toast, eat the avocado toast, enjoy it. But like, maybe you don't have to go out to brunch every single, you know, every single other day or whatever. Like I I do find that my partner and I have quite a a simple life in this weird way. Like we do a lot of cooking at home and we invite friends over to eat because it's a cost of living crisis. And like, I don't want anyone, you know, going hungry or having to pinch pennies or whatever. So we tend to sort of have quite a simple life. I really enjoy staying home with the book and entertaining with friends and this and that. I don't feel like I have to go out every night of the week to have a good time. I'm like you, alcohol never really agreed with me. So that's something that's quite easy to uh, cut out the old diet. And when you're going out and drinking, that adds up. It really does. And so like, I always tell people like, trim the things from your life that you absolutely don't need that you sometimes ask yourself why you're doing it. Because when you can do that, you leave more space for the love and the light and the beautiful things that, that really fill you up to come in. And often that's such a life improvement. And like, if you look at fast fashion and you look at these systems and you realize that they're not bringing you joy you have to start to like step away from it. And like, I think unless we're really good at ignoring the things that are at the roots of the system, there's very little, there's very little genuine joy there because we have to overlook a lot of things in order to feel that joy. Yeah, it's true. And the less I listen to my inner baby, that's, it's funny. My, my brother's in a bit of a like treat yourself place. And my mom and I were making <laughs> <I've been> there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and my mom and I were making fun of him because it's like, we're, we're all related. Like we all get it, you know? Yeah. And we started going like when, when our ba- baby self wanted something, we would be like, baby wants breakfast now, you know, like we start going like baby. And I think all of us, we all go through phases where like the baby us is driving, you know, mm-hmm. baby is going, I deserve it. I worked harder. I'm suffering. And I want or, it. Yeah. I want it. 
And I think the more you can try to parent that voice maybe mm-hmm. and and start to understand making these choices from a mindful place doesn't have to be deprivation but yes. actually like you were saying leaves the space for all these things that you love or bring joy like I have been such a like, you know, physical and emotional hoarder. And when I really started to challenge that stuff and I really started to look at my discomfort with space, my discomfort with less, I realized how much more emotionally full I felt. And that was scary. And like uh, my friend Catherine, who's been a previous guest on the pod, she said something about like, most of us are so caught in immediate gratification, we never graduate to our true pleasure. And yeah. that is something I love that quote, she says things like that, like every other like sentence. And I'm like, how like, I would be so arrogant if I was that wise all the time. <laughs> and yet she's like the coolest. Maybe that's why God gave her that gift. But anyway, <laughs> I think about that a lot. I think about how often, and sometimes it's like with, with friends who, who shop a lot. I mean, and mm-hmm. I, I shop too. I'm, I, it's not from a place of judgment. I think so often, what is this really in place of? What yeah. would you really like in your life? And like, I think for me too, like having been in a plus size body that like often there has been an element of fantasy. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. in this outfit, I'll look this way or in this outfit, I'll be thinner. And when I started challenging that and going, you know, you're still going to be you, right? Like, you know, you're going to be you. Like you're still, you're not going to suddenly look like a runway model or whatever. It changed my shopping and it made me go, oh, I'm actually feeling a little insecure right now, or I'm feeling a little lost in the world. And I think this dress will make me feel found or whatever. And it made me start dealing with some of that stuff that it, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow. Like. I have less stuff. I'm shopping mm-hmm. less, but my life feels more full. Like yeah. I feel fuller as a person because it does. I think there's also something about consumption that makes you just like, it's almost like dissociative, you know, cause you're just like doing stuff and then you like wake up and you're like, what happened a bit? Who, where did all these jelly sandals come from? You know, like you kind of come to And I felt that when I was really challenging some of that stuff, there was less of that, that just in general, I was more present. Like, and I don't want to take like a moralistic tone, but like that really surprised me. Like that my life feeling more enriched by doing less was like, I think a really good lesson for me. Yeah. Well, I know it's getting later in the UK and I could talk to you forever because I think you're just fascinating. And I wanted to also say, I know you're trying to wrap up and I appreciate it, but I'm like, I could go on forever too. Yeah. But I was going to say, say, tell us what you were saying about like, baby wants this (laughs) and this idea of loss. That's how I felt about like stepping off the consumerism micro trend wheel was that, and this is so sad. Like I remember being like, I'm going to unsubscribe from all of these emails. And I remember feeling this sadness that like, who will I be if I'm not participating in this system? And when I look back upon it, it's like the saddest sentence ever because I'm so much more happy now. I have so much more brain space to like think about bigger picture stuff. I don't feel the pure pressure to buy every new trend, which I used to feel, and that's really exhausting. Yeah. I don't feel like I have to spend hours 
going through the ASOS site or the H&M site because that is a lot of stuff to look at. And like, it takes up a lot of time going through all of that stuff. And so like, you think that you're losing something when you stop participating in these systems. But if you can just like do it for two months, what you'll find is that you've gained so much. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to see how nuts it is that if you, Mm -hmm. if one of your values is constant relevance, then Mm -hmm. like you will never know peace, (laughs) you know, that it's like you start to sort of see what a hamster wheel it is of like, oh, if I really say this is of the ultimate importance, then like, I'll never be free. Like, I mean, any of those sites, like you said, going through the ASOS, going through the H&M, it's like, if you click on just the, like, you know, you go women's new, there's going to be 500 things. And it's like, I mean, who's to say if you were still involved in all of that, like, would you have been able to write a book? Like, probably not. Like your brain, it would have been much harder of like, if all of that energy, you know, is devoted you know, to constantly sort of keeping tabs on things and going like, am I relevant? Am I cool? Am I lining up? And mm-hmm. I feel the more I push myself to de- to divest, like the better I feel. And yeah. if you're somebody who literally just wants to save money, unsubscribing and being really mindful of that. It'll blow you away how fast you're going to start saving money. And and. I want to offer people like if it feels hard or sad or like, who am I? Like, I agree with Hanja that it's sad, but also it's valid. I remember that yeah. too. But then it's kind of unbelievable how quickly you forget and how much you're like, oh, yeah. oh my God, I forgot about that brand or I forgot about like. Even like Amazon, right? Like I was early in, early out on Amazon. I started shopping there in the year of 2000. And then by the time like, all of my family and friends started to jump on board. I was like, oh my God, guys, I think this is a horrible company. I'm so sorry. And then nobody would listen. And I was like, damn. (laughs) But like, when I look back upon like, even if I like am on my sister's computer and she's signed in, when I look at the website now, and obviously it's a bit of a monster today in comparison to what it looked like in 2000, I can see all the loopholes of how easy it is for you to spend money there on things that you don't actually need or want. It makes it very easy. It's like, buy this and buy this and we'll bundle it and you'll save $2. Except are you saving $2 if you actually didn't need the second thing? Oh, when I realized my susceptibility to the like, spend 100, get 25 off, spend Mm -hmm. 250, get 75 off. When I realized, like, that was making me spend so much more. And that's how, like, Shein works as well. Because you have to hit a minimum in order to get the free shipping. And without the free shipping, that it doesn't kind of make it worth it at all. Because otherwise you're paying, you know, the shipping from from China. And it's probably not going to be that cheap. So it's like, spend 35 and get free shipping. But do you actually need all of those items? You just need one thing. Do you actually actually need anything from Shein? Like, let's just be be I mean, realistic just go buy paper. about that. I think exactly. that's what all their clothing's made out of anyway. It, like, exactly. just go buy some paper. Like, you could buy similar things. You know, you don't have to buy it from Shein, but you're going there because it's cheap. But then by the time you're done filling your cart with things that you don't need, 
not so cheap anymore, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing when you start to kind of like piece those things together and be like, wait a minute, I wasn't even saving money. Like all the tricks, all all the tricks, so many tricks. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I love, like I, when I saw you post that graphic, that was, I believe in holding grudges, I'll heal in hell. (laughs) I laughed so hard. It is, it is like, it brought me so much joy that that got you to slide into my DMs reposting it. Cause I've had a lot of admiration for you that I was like, not only is it great that I'm like connecting with this woman, I love that we're connecting over this hilarious graphic that is like so funny and petty. And like, I'm I laugh. such a Taurus. Like, I don't think I'll ever not be a bit of a grudge holder. I think as I get older, it becomes harder to like hold the grudge you're kind of like oh for fuck's sake but like when when I was younger though I could if you had a grudge I'd hold it for you I'm like pass it here that heavy I've got it I've got it I'm a cancer so I'm like where you might be like kind of earthy in your grudges I'm like emo in my grudges I'm like I had like you know gone off about something to my mom and my mom was telling my brother like god you know my brother was like listen Anna's ride or die like that's something I am you, you need to know about it like he was like it's on you if you didn't think she was gonna like get mad on your behalf about this per-, you know like totally <laughs> and like I I've gotten to a point as well where I've realized that that's kind of the reciprocity that I also appreciate in friendships as well. And so once you kind of have that, you're like solid. Yes, it's true. It is funny when you can like tell your friends are riled up on your behalf or something. Mm-hmm. You're like, thanks. It is like, well, I, I, I love learning this stuff about people as well. So I do something called question of the week on Instagram, where I ask a random question. And lately, they've been about friendship lately, because people love that topic. They love to talk about friendship. They really do. And one of the questions I asked is like, Okay, say you have a friend and they introduce you to another friend and then, you know, you're all hanging out, but you still know this one person through like your friend and then your friend and this one person have like a falling out. Like, what do you do? Because I'm the person where I'm like, hey, so it's so nice to meet you, but I'm going with them over there because they're the person that I met you through. Yeah. You know, and it's really fascinating to discuss these different facets of people's personalities. But for me, like, if you introduce me to a friend and like, you fall out with them, like, for me, last hired, first fired, like, sorry. (laughs) I know. It's like, unfortunately, they keep custody of me. Like, you know, like, oh, you know, always be nice when I see you, though. Totally, totally. But we're never going to hang out one on one. Yeah, I know. It's like, (laughs) So-and-so, I hardly knew ye, you know, like. I'm always really shocked by people that are like, oh, we can all be friends. And I'm like, no, we can't. (laughs) That's a myth. Like only, you know, I'm like, you must not, you know, and when people sometimes say things like that, I'm like, hmm, I'm like, you may not be emotionally available or something. Like you might be tuning things out because like, I don't see how that's possible, you know, like. I feel similarly. So where can people find you? How can people support your work? Yes. So I do have a book called Consumed, which I would love for you to buy it. And I would love if you buy it, please buy it from an independent bookstore. That's what I did. I didn't buy it from Amazon. Thank you. And like, you can go to bookshop.org and they'll set you up with an independent bookshop that has it. There are just so many ways that you can buy a book and it doesn't have to be Amazon. But 
as I was talking about earlier in the conversation, I do not do a lot of ads and I turn down a lot of money because the fashion industry needs to fix its face, which means that my work is not monetized through a traditional way. So if you like this conversation and you're like, I'm really into it. I want to hear more about it every day. I've got a Patreon and that's a really great community as well. Uh, I do a column on getting dressed. I do a podcast and we just talk about the issues. The goal of the Patreon is to get you to a point where you can talk about this stuff like to anyone and like be the most informed person at the table. So that's where you can find me. And then obviously I'm on Instagram. I'm Aja Barber on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm Aja says hello on Twitter. I'm quite spicy there. So <laughs> like if I seem like I'm in a bad mood, just avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time I think I'm I'm pretty I think people think that I'm more angry than I actually am, but most of the time I'm like laughing at myself. Oh so. my God. Well, I, ha- I don't think I've looked at your Twitter, but I know your Instagram well. And I would also say that Aja's really good at introducing you to sustainable brands. And I've learned of a lot of people I wouldn't have, you know, prior. You have a couple sweaters that I deeply covet. So it's like, I think helpful to see that you can still look like really cool and still dress in a way that reflects yourself, like with these brands and things like that. And I think you are such a powerhouse at like modeling things. And, you know, I'm halfway through consumed right now and I recommend it to everyone. It's just been really fascinating and educational in the way that I just written it and laid things out. It's really easy to understand. And I was laughing with her saying that, you know, I was on vacation with my family and they were like, can you relax? Cause I kept reading things out loud, but they were like, Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. And you you do explain and break things down in ways that like do make it easy to metabolize. And I think be able to say to someone, so if these are things that interest you, if you do want to be more educated, if you at least want to be able to make more informed decisions, you know, like Aja is definitely like the person who can help get you there. I, as someone who has been interested, but like have, have had a hard time. I'm a big fan of Celine and the slow factory. That was sort of my entrance point. I think that's how I learned about you, to be honest. That's probably what led me back to you. But if I think back. That's so funny. Celine texted me during this podcast. I was like, I was like, I'll text you back. I'm on a podcast. And that's really lovely. That's it. Yeah. I'm, oh my God, I'm obsessed with her. And so I do think that y'all are doing I love that fiery Scorpio. She's a hothead and I love her. Oh, she says stuff and I'm just like, you know, and (laughs) when like when a woman is super smart and has her because when I care about something, a lot of times I like lose my words. I get so riled up. I just sort of shut down. Mm -hmm. So when I like read something like your book or I read sometimes her post or whatever And obviously, like with the written word, you can gather your thoughts and like, Mm -hmm. you you know, and stuff. But still sometimes or like when she'll like hop on or whatever, I'm just like, that is my porn. Like that I'll be like, (laughs) oh, my God, you know, like it is so like powerful to me, like in a world where so many people are just like espousing so much bullshit. When someone comes in and goes, I'm going to like cut through all that bullshit and tell you what is actually up and like if you are choosing these things, this is what you're choosing. I'm like, give them all the money in the space. 
she is like one of the most brilliant thinkers I've ever met. Like the way her mind thinks about design and oh. like complex ideas, like sitting and chatting with Celine is honestly like, it's an honor. And like, I feel very honored to have her as a friend, but I'm also like, you hothead Scorpio. <laughs> yeah, the links her brain makes. I'm just... Yes. And the, coming from the South, it's very much like, oh, a thing is like, God only gives you two scoops. So like you get two gifts or something. And mm -hmm. or, or like things would be like, my mom would be like, you get good hair, good nails, you don't get both, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I feel with you and Selena, I'm like, it's not fair that they got to be like so smart and have like the aesthetics on point you know oh, and they're like terribly so cool sweet. and like you're you're so sweet for saying but honestly deep down inside i'm just a big dork <laughs> i am like sometimes i wear cool clothing but once a nerd always a nerd yeah. Well, and hopefully the nerds inherit the earth. That's what I'm like coming around to that. I'm like, <laughs> I wish I could be less nerdy, but it's this, you know, like sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just be sort of like a golden retriever as a person and just like, Hey, what's up? But I'm like, uh, nerd for life. I like care and want to know. One of the things I do like about sustainability within the fashion landscape is I do call it nerd prom. I feel <laughs> like the sustainable fashion people we are not like fashion's A-list or front row people. Like every now and then I'll get sat in a front row and I'm like, ooh, look at me. <laughs> but for the most part, I find people who work in sustainability are generally, you know, working class and often nerdy, interesting. We were not like the first pick for like the A squad, but now we're like getting in the door because the fashion industry needs us. And that's pretty funny. That you is, know what I mean? Like, yeah. it is in a way like the nerds are starting to get in the room because the industry's like, oh, God, let the dorks in. Like, yeah. we're going to we're going to expire. So I guess we have to let them into the party. And that's what's fun about sustainability. It's a lot of people where they would never have imagined themselves in the fashion landscape. And suddenly here we are. It's so funny. Uh, like, all right, fine. Let him in. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, God, that girl. You're going to invite her? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I am so appreciative of this conversation today. And just, I don't know, you sharing your brain. It, it it's, it's a good one. So I appreciate all that we discussed today and the work that you're doing out in the world. I loved it. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to go and have a nice long bath. I went to ballet today. It was really hard. And so it was nice to come home and have like a chill conversation after a really challenging ballet class. Good. I'm glad. That's uh, all for today. So thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I mean... I could have talked to her for the rest of the day. Just so smart and cool and interesting, not just because Anja and I have weird little overlaps of knowing about like weird London things that were happening in the 90s. I am aware of what my like freshly, deeply obsessed with Aja bias is. And I hope you really enjoyed this episode and learned something and will think differently about fast fashion and the ways in which we can be a little more in touch with being sustainable and kinder to the planet. 
that's all for today. If you're interested in submitting a topic, please go to anatonk.com and hit the contact button. Or you can email me at anatonk at gmail.com. If you're a fan of the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really does help. <laughs>